You're listening to Radio 191 FM Politrix Show. And uh, before we were discussing with Paul Buchanan the Paris attacks and the implications uh, of that for the security, privacy, political landscape, and we spoke a little bit about the shifting focus to encrypted communications. Uh, We're seeing a lot in the mainstream media just in the last couple of hours. Um, Sort of blame laid at the feet of Silicon Valley, Apple, and Google uh, for providing, you know, uh, consumer-grade encryption to the masses, popularizing encrypted messaging. Now, as we also mentioned, uh, and as Paul Buchanan mentioned, breaking encryption, there's dedicated security government agencies just set up for breaking encryption. They've been around for 50 years. In the Snowden documents, we saw that weakening encryption is a primary goal, and it's been achieved in many cases. Um, the, The resources are there. So when, you know... The district attorney of New York writes an opinion piece and says Google and Apple need to unlock phones to make our job easier, or you're with the terrorists. Um, The military really can probably already do that in certain cases, but this rhetoric that we're seeing, uh, you know, blaming encrypted communication for the Paris attacks, among other things, is kind of more of a, a psychological softening up of the population to make you feel unpatriotic if you use encrypted communication. What, what would you say about that, uh, Associate Professor Hank Wolf from Otago Information Science? It's my opinion that that's most likely to be propaganda designed to achieve a particular objective, and that objective is to remove the ability of people to have real privacy through the use of encryption. Now, we see, like... As we said, in in the Snowden documents, encryption has been routinely weakened. The idea that um, Apple and Google sort of uh, won't unlock their phones uh, in a court case because they they technically can't because of the encryption, how true is that? I mean, we've seen that uh, the military has, you know, in many ways tried to undermine... uh, corporate security, get back doors inserted into software, infiltrate organizations with their own employees, deliberately weaken standards. That's all sort of um, public knowledge now. There was sort of a, a theatrical kiss and make up um, after the Snowden documents were released where some of these major telecommunications companies firstly denied that they had been involved in the PRISM-type programs, then kind of tacitly admitted it but said that they were changing their procedures. But um, yeah, how much of that was a song and dance? Do you think? And um, I, I guess you you work firsthand with creating encryption algorithms, making them work. How hard are people working to make them not work? Um, you have to understand that Prism is just one one of the operational uh, programs uh, set about by the National Security Agency. There's another one called Bull Run which has been in place for the last 10 years, and each year their budget is $250 million, and the sole purpose of that program is to pervert publicly available cryptographic products. I imagine most of them have been perverted by now, including Apple and Microsoft and anybody else that you can name. 
And so the idea that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I guess, uh, yeah, the New York district attorney, the London police chief, they're all sort of weighing in saying, we need these tools. Um, in many cases, the military has them, but, but when they put them to use, they're not kind of revealed in open court. Um, you know, if, say, for instance, uh, the military-grade intelligence agencies were to assist domestic law enforcement, um, then some of these techniques might be inadvertently revealed. Not that some of them weren't already in the Snowden documents, but, but having it rubbed in the salt of the wound of how commonplace this technology is isn't something that, you know, for lack of a better word, the military-industrial complex really wants. And uh, in many cases, this was touched on by Paul Buchanan as well. We kind of saw through the lens of the Kim.com case here in New Zealand, where when, you know, higher-level security enforcement agencies use capabilities that, you know, shouldn't be available to domestic law enforcement, there's civil liberties concerns, privacy concerns, and and the public gets up in arms. Um, So... In many ways, it's possible to do this now, but not without the public getting upset when it comes out in court. But, uh, you know, if we could convince the public to use these technologies less or um, this type of rhetoric we're seeing now, do you think it's part of that narrative? I don't don't know. I I think that um, the whole idea of cryptography is meant to provide privacy, which is a human right. That goes before all the rest of this nonsense. And we, each of us are entitled to have the right to that privacy. The idea of keeping something a secret is not illegal. It's not criminal. It's a choice. Um, you close the door in your toilet because you want that to be private. And you have a right to do that. And so, too, should be your personal communications and other information about you that you wish to keep private. That's your human right and your choice to keep keep that information private. So... Go ahead, George. Um, if there's like proper oversight and, and and proper transparency with court orders, then as a as would a backdoor then you know would it would it be totally like infallible? Well, not infallible, but you know would it be okay? Like how how are you meant to? Because terrorists are you know inevitably going to use public. Um, technology that is is available to the public how how do you address that without without um impeding on people's like privacy well it is a catch-22 in some ways what what would you say i I think there's a fine line here between national security and routine criminal activity Hmm. and so in the intelligence community they don't reveal the kinds of techniques that they use they just do not do that and um, to involve them in a uh, criminal uh, case, uh, they, they, I'm sure they wouldn't want to be involved, and nor would they want to reveal any right. techniques that might solve that problem for the criminal prosecution. Uh huh. But they don't play well with others, in other words. Yeah. And I guess you know it's been pointed out that you know terrorists and criminals, um, they don't follow the rules. Uh, they, you know, routinely hack into things. So if you create a backdoor for enforcement agencies, Mm. that backdoor is inevitably going to be exploited by criminals themselves or rival enforcement agencies. Uh, You know, it's like leaving a key under the mat for the police. Mm. The burglar can also look under there. Um, It's interesting, though, this 
yeah, this this psychological meme we're seeing floated out there of um, you know using encrypted communication, basically being unpatriotic, but. People have pushed back, and um, certain apps, well, even John Key said this week, you know, something about encrypted communication, and we're going to have to take a closer look at this. So this is obviously some sort of memo that's been circulated. And, uh, in fact, well, we we saw policy documents uh, several months ago, uh, a memo uncovered by the Washington Post sent three months ago by Robert Litt, a lawyer working for the U.S. National Intelligence Office, said that while attitudes towards creating government backdoors currently were, quote, hostile, that atmosphere could, quote, turn in the event of a terrorist attack or criminal event where strong encryption can be shown to have hindered law enforcement. Now, strong encryption hasn't been shown necessarily to have hindered law enforcement in the case of the Paris attacks. Um, A lot of these people were related. I mean, people can still communicate face-to-face. This has led to a pushback by the creator of one of these apps, Pavel Durov, a Russian... Uh, mm. a, a, Telegram. Yes, Telegram. Uh, uh, responsible for the Telegram app, which I was unaware, but um, now in these new media reports coming out, apparently Telegram is the favored encrypted messaging app of yeah. ISIS. Um, the, I had no idea about this. The FSB, the, the Russian intelligence service, has been trying to um, basically just outright ban the Telegram um, app like if you use it in Russia you're yeah. a criminal. Well, yeah. and let's not forget Pavel Durov was the founder of Vkontakte and uh when the Russian government kind of demanded backdoor access to what is the Russian Facebook, mm. uh he had to flee the country in the middle of the night yeah. uh cuz that's how they do things over there, but he said uh you know in the idea of like banning Telegram or bl- banning encrypted messaging What about these people who are communicating face-to-face? And uh, his quote is, I propose banning words, he said. There's evidence to suggest that they're being used by terrorists to communicate. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's there's another good one um, from someone that was uh, the editor of uh, uh, Medusa, which is an independent news site, and he says, let's ban Toyotas in Russia because they're used so prominently by by Islamic State uh, terrorists. So... I mean, you're you're the person who teaches uh, future cryptographers here at the university. Would that be fair to say, Hank? I mean, this well, is your bread and butter. Actually, that's not, that's a mischaracterization. I teach uh, information assurance. Cryptography is a part of it, and it's a very advanced branch of mathematics. And I'm not a cryptographer, so I don't teach cryptography per se. Know a lot about it, but don't teach it. So information assurance would be more of um, knowing that your information is secure. Knowing that oh. if your something is supposed to be secret according to software, that it remains that way and cryptography plays a role. Yeah, information assurance is the term used to cover the broad aspects of protecting insurance from policy to disaster recovery and all the things in between. And, and one aspect of protecting that information is encryption because you can encrypt stuff. I mean, Medical records are encrypted and stored, and makes it difficult for people to get in there and, and uh, you know, who are not authorized to get that information. So it's, it has many uses, but it's just one aspect of information assurance. And wh- and where is this going though, as far as like encrypted communications is concerned? Um, obviously, uh, this type of stuff originated in the military. Um, all the original research was kind of you know in house in these agencies. Uh, they've got a head start. Um, what we see in the consumer grade. I mean, I remember as a kid downloading certain um, 
you know, web software on the Internet, and you had to say that you were in the United States because it was illegal to export, you know, encryption. Um, are, are they always going to be one step ahead? Are we, are we really at a turning point in democratization of mathematics and technology? Um, well, what's your assessment? Let's just back up a second. Before you were talking about uh, banning encryption and the, the notion that uh, governments would like to have encryption banned or uh, require keys for people and so on, and we, we just totally ignore the fact that uh, criminals and terrorists and the bad guys are, are not stupid. And they're not afraid to break the law, so why do they care whether encryption is what legal rules? or illegal? Yes. So it's, it's, it's a moot point, okay? And so they will use the best and strongest encryption they can find, wherever that may be, or create their own if they're good enough. So banning encryption or m requiring back doors for encryption serves no purpose other than to make your communications less private. And as soon as they found out about it, they'd switch apps, something from a different country, right. something so, not in that jurisdiction. So why would the bad guys pay any attention to that? It's got nothing to do with them. They don't care. And if you're sending an encrypted message, there's lots of different ways to send an encrypted message that is not recognized to be encrypted. Okay, so it's not so easy to identify something that is encrypted. Now, another thing that we heard from Paul Buchanan is that sort of... Um, you know, sometimes the national security justification isn't always um, what it seems, and ma automating this mass surveillance system is where kind of encryption uh, might be a little bit of a stumbling block for the agencies. Um, you know, they can break encryption if they have to, 90% of the time they've got it covered. A few other times they'll, you know, put a dedicated team and, and work harder than they normally have to. Um, the the more automated signals intelligence collection that we've seen, um, you know, taking in phone data, text messaging, uh, internet searches, all of that type of stuff, um, it's it's just a lot more computing power that's needed exponentially as you increase the amounts of data. And if you're encrypting all that data, not that you can't break it, but it it just takes more time. And when you've got billions of people. Um, the the idea of weakening these standards, if we know that it's not going to stop terrorism, um, if we know that it's uh, a threat to civil liberties and privacy, why do you think that it keeps getting floated out there? You know, why are we seeing press releases from enforcement agencies, uh, John Brennan, saying that this is a threat, if in reality it's not much of a threat? What is the the psychological value of getting people to use it less? Because they can control the population easy, much more easy if they can see all of their communication. And they already capture all of their communication. That's being stored at Bluffdale in Utah. So whatever's being communicated, be it on the Internet or through cell phones or whatever, is all being captured by NSA and it's all being recorded and they keep it. So if they can't break it today, maybe tomorrow they will. And they'll just go back to the file and pull it out and break it. But it is, to, to be clear, you know, the, the encryption, albeit breakable, is making it slightly more time-consuming for them. I, that may or that may be, but you're not talking about something significant. We're talking about NSA, for example, is probably the world's largest single user of computers. And not just any computers, the most advanced computers available in the world today. So if it takes uh, 20 milliseconds longer, mm. so what? Yeah. 
And so people who are concerned about privacy, I mean, we've talked to you about this in the past. Um, Carrying around a smartphone, obviously not a great idea. Um, Cameras, microphones can be turned on remotely. No way of you knowing. All stored. Even if you're you're doing your own data entry when you use Facebook. Um, You know, is if... If, if you're really that concerned about your privacy and, you know, personal details about you being database, do you just have to cut the cord? Um, are we reaching the point where convenience uh, being dangled in front of people is just so overwhelming that no one is going to make that conscious decision anymore? I, I think that's probably a c- correct assumption. The thing is that we're, we're talking, and, and this conversation has been generally about... Um, the intelligence agencies collecting information, but there's another side to this, mm, right? And that's the business mm. side, which is currently labeled as big data. So everything you do, everything you, um, every dollar you spend, every activity you invo- that you're involved in is being collected. All of your f- um, loyalty programs collect that information about you. It helps build a profile. That information is sold for um, marketing purposes and. Big data creates and links up all of this information to make a super profile so that when they um, look for a profile for a particular kind of product, they don't have to waste money on advertising. They can go directly to you because they know you need a pair of tires, right? Yeah. Okay. So is, is that somewhere where where encryption and protecting your data can still be very valuable and, yeah. and, and still... When it comes yeah. to, to corporate intrusion. And you can not give it to them. Or you can, for example, if you have an Android, you can download something from Cambridge University called MockDroid. And all the applications, probably half of them are reporting your activities on your phone back to some master somewhere that's being recorded and sold to businesses. It lies to them. So why not lie to them? <laughs> yeah, that's right. They well, lie to you. What makes you What makes you feel like uh, Corporation X is entitled to know the last time you went to the bathroom? They well, don't have any. They don't have any reason to have that information. So you can lie about it. Yeah. And anything else that you want to. When you're going and uh, providing information for a government organization, there may be some legal ramifications, but mm-hmm. not so with business. Right. That's true. So well, we don't have to give them just because they ask for it. Or we can give them alternative um, disinfo. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Counterintelligence. If we can, if we can somehow pervert this big database, then that's good. That's well, important. that's what I've always said to people. You know, you you stand out a lot more like a sore thumb if you don't have a Facebook profile than if you do. But <laughs> if you do have one, why don't you just put a bunch of stuff on there about being a really mundane, average, brainwashed citizen, <laughs> and uh, that'll be a lot better. There you go. That's a good idea. <laughs> Well, I can describe to that. <laughs> I don't have a Facebook though. Yeah, and or and, a telephone, <laughs> and you know, uh, or a LinkedIn, something to aspire to. I think. <laughs> or <And> anything else. <laughs> it's 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 interesting to see. You know, um, yeah, this these these baubles laid out in front of us of of convenience and uh, trading them for uh, security, and it, it's great to be able to have discussions with people like you, Hank people like Paul Buchanan, and uh, I think we have a better picture uh, of what's going on, and and no doubt we will see a lot more sort of detailed evidence come out about uh, the Paris terrorist attacks, but uh, some of the psychological ground of how Mm. we react to that evidence, regardless of what it is, I think has already been proven. That's the thing is that, um, you know, there's uh, these articles popping up about 
it, linking the um, the danger, this this the the so-called danger of encryption to the Paris attacks, and all all it's been, all the sources are, um, you know, Loretta Lynch, the Attorney General, and unnamed U.S. officials. There's been no public proof that um, intelligence agencies couldn't. Uh, foil the attacks because they couldn't get into messages. That's right, and um, you know, as we've seen, anybody who uses an iPhone is using an encrypted message, so um, yeah, it's kind of a a broad brush, but thanks for shedding a little light on that. Let's remember that these people will never let a good crisis go to waste. Mm. Exactly. And if they can use it to um, further their objectives, that is um, dilute the opportunity and quality of encryption available to the common person, then that's what they'll use it for. Why not jump on it? Exactly. Well, uh, hope you guys, hope everyone out there is uh, taking a look at encrypted messaging. If not, uh, you know, to hide from government agencies, which may be illegal, but to hide from those corporate spies making a profile of your shopping preferences. And John Key said he wasn't going to name any specific apps, um, but there's plenty out there. We already talked about Telegram. WhatsApp has been mentioned a lot, but anything that corporate, you've got to be suspicious of. Wicker's quite popular among the uh, hipsters, uh, but there's more and more out there. And as we said, you know, uh, if any appear to be compromised, someone else is going to make a new one. Uh, So the Hydra is well and truly alive in that sense.